Welcome to the MS Dev Show, episode number 199. This week, we talk with Chapalo Street about the IoT Edge, how to convert your Surface Pro into a Surface Studio, and why your next processor may contain tiny roller coasters. Raygun gives you complete visibility on errors, crashes, and performance problems affecting your end users. Replicate issues in seconds rather than digging through log files or having to rely on users to report errors or crashes. Raygun gives you a window into how users are really experiencing your software applications. Check it out today at raygun.com. This week we have Chapalo Street, Principal Program Manager working on IoT Edge. How's it going, Chapalo? Pretty good. How are you guys? Doing well, doing well. So, Carl, um, I just finished my RV trip. I'm in my house, as you can see, I'm in my bedroom. Um, my office does not have any doors yet. I have to get those put on so that I can uh, take calls in there. <laughs> but at least I have uh, I have a nice, quiet uh, room here. And uh, you know, I think we talked about this before, but I have my AT&T gigabit fiber all set up, and I'm all hardwired in. So we can we can put some of my speed tests in the show notes. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> Carl's super. Those should be automated at this point. Yeah, you can automate them through Ubiquity, by the way. So we've been talking about having like a uh, ultimate networking setup or something because I've been I've been building out a, a pretty cool network here at the house. But uh, yeah, the the RV trip is over, and then I did get some uh, questions on our Slack channel about the trip. So you know, it was a little over two thousand miles. Um, I'll see if I can grab some stats that we can put in the, uh, in the show notes. Um, but I did get questions about how it was working during that with, uh, with the drive. So, uh, I'll kind of make a long story short here. There were only five, I think it was five days, five weekdays that I had to drive during the week. So I took vacation on those days. The other drive days were on the weekends. And, uh, since we had almost a month, the vast majority of the days were actually in one spot. So for example, we were near Denver for nine days. Uh, so we, uh, um, you know, obviously there was no driving for, for a long period of time there. So that's, that's how I pulled that off. And then I have the unlimited, uh, AT&T hotspot. And, uh, unfortunately the biggest challenge was some, uh, not so reliable, uh, internet in some places. I have a giant booster, but anyway, if you want to hear more about that, I'm gonna I'll run an open space at uh, that conference in Wisconsin Dells. What is it? When is that, Carl? Is that next week? That that's next week already. Yeah, a week from today we'll be yeah. there. So you might be listening to it after that conference, uh, and you may have already heard all the details from me. But I'm gonna have to prepare for that, and I'll bring all the details so that you can learn about how to do uh, extreme remote work um, and be able to see the world while you're working. So anyway, let's jump into the uh, comment of the week, Carl. Yeah, and uh, it was RV themed as well. So Dan Vanderboom uh, reached out to us on Twitter. Mm -hmm. says, it was interesting to hear you talk about RV life uh, for tech folks or other people. Have you heard of the autonomous RV concepts? This sells it for me. Positioned as a service, but can be, uh, but can imagine owning one to live in full time. Uh, without ever having to drive a beast of a vehicle. And he sent us a link to a YouTube video for something called TerraVenture, which yeah. is a, an autonomous RV. And uh, 
I think some of the tech is a little ways out yet, and I think you agreed with me on that one, Jason. <laughs> that's, that's putting uh, it very but, politely. Is this like self-driving yeah. cars on crack, but for RVs? Well, it's like it's a self-driving electric RV, and they want to sell it as a service. <laughs> and, so, and in addition, like like when you are camping somewhere, they even have like drone delivery stuff of like when you need. I know, I know. If you watch the video, like I I understand that the whole thing is sort of aspirational, but like. I was thinking that it was like a concept video, which it really is. But then you realize they're like, we formed this company is like, okay, so what does your company actually do today? Because everything you say you do actually doesn't exist yet. They just or, sell RVs. They have a little like a, a RV. Yeah, lot yeah we, just, we just sell cheap <laughs> RVs. <laughs> but one day, but basically I think the idea though, is that you, you actually pick like a vacation package. You say like, I want the Mount Rushmore package or South Dakota, right? You click a button and then like, you know, two weeks from now when you schedule it, like this RV pulls up, you load all your stuff into it and then it drives you there. And then it just like, I don't know, it just stops and is like, get out and go look at Mount Rushmore for <laughs> well, they also three hours. Part of that uh, where like you could stand in there and then uh, they would have like a, like a self-guided tour. So they would yeah. be like pointing out like, you know, like here's the history of this president and yeah. Here's a here's a self driving Segway. <laughs> so the parents I don't can be, in, be happy and the kids can be super annoyed. You can annoy your kids at the same time. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I I thought it was super aspirational. Like people have to sort of think of what the future holds so that you can kind of uh, you know figure out how do we actually get there. But I just thought it was. I, I really wish they had like painted their vision of. Well, that that's where we want to get to, and here's what we can do today. Because there was no indication of what they can actually do today. Like you said, it's just, you know, here's an RV. <laughs> you have to drive it yourself. You have to fill it with diesel fuel. You have to plan your route. <laughs> Everything is on you for the time being until we automate it all away. It's fine. They're on the Elon Musk plan. Yeah. Hyperloop inspirational. Yeah, exactly. All right. So if you want to get mentioned on the show like Dan, uh, send us an email to feedback at msdevshow.com. Comment on Facebook, YouTube, or Stitcher. We also really love those five-star iTunes reviews. Absolutely. So let's jump into the news. We have a couple of quick stories. So the first one here, Kensington Dock turns the Surface Pro into a mini Surface Studio. What? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you watch the video for this in the show notes, and this is pretty cool. So you take your uh, Surface Pro, you put it in this dock, and it kind of lets it uh, go flat and elevate up just like a, a Surface Studio does. And it looks really cool. Plus, you get the benefits of it being a dock, so you can get uh, – external monitors, other accessories, and uh, like your keyboard, mouse, and all that just plug in and work. And it looks just really beautiful. And uh, I forgot the price. It's like three or four hundred bucks, but it looks... I was going to ask you, yeah. It, it looks like if it do, uh, does what it says uh, for the right $300. People, That's not terrible. Because yeah. I was looking no, at this. I mean, it's just... A, what's a Surface Dock? Like 200 Uh, Yeah, and I think it's, it's probably more reliable price. than that. Yeah, this so. is this is pretty cool. I mean... It, it's it's just a good stand. I mean, if you look at it that way, but it's a stand plus dock. So yeah, I mean, extra hundred bucks. Let's see what ports it's got here. So it's got, uh, it's got USB C. It's got four USB C ports. It's got Ethernet. I'm just I'm like looking at the video. Display port, uh, USB A, and then power. So I mean, that's yeah. So it's like a dock plus stand. So I would consider buying this over the dock. Yeah, it looks really nice. I'm I'm all for it. Yeah. So go ahead and order me one. Um, <laughs> uh, okay. Next story. Someone built a calculator out of roller coasters. 
And and to be clear, it's not just roller coasters. It's a roller coaster tycoon, I believe, yep. is the name of the game. And this was actually I, I watched this whole video uh, like beginning to end. And and there's a, an imger that we'll have in the show notes that kind of like break it up into still images and descriptions. Uh, but this guy built this massive, massive custom uh, roller coaster that you kind of plug in uh, some single digit numbers, you know, two of them, and it'll add or multiply them. But when you watch the roller coasters, they're like doing jumps and there's these things that it does to like speed up and slow down them to kind of like make the calculations work. Uh, this guy definitely has a, a knack for what the game can do and very creative usage of it. Yeah. Most people don't realize that in your processor in your computer, there's actually little roller coasters in there. <laughs> Just crashing roller coasters left and right. No, this is really, I, I always love seeing this whenever, I, I think this should be, this would be an interesting way of teaching students how computers work at a fundamental level. I know that when I was in college, we had to like uh, build, uh, you know, we had to design essentially processors out of like NAND gates. Uh, but I think this is really cool because it it shows you logic at that fundamental level, and I think this is kind of a neat way of uh, of teaching it for sure. I don't think that was the intention, but I think it's a really neat demonstration. Uh, okay, so the last story here: the Rockstar programming language definition. So first of all, this is a, a proposal for a new programming language called Rockstar, mm -hmm. and it, it's kind of set up so it all of your code, if you do it kind of in the theme of uh, what's intended, it sounds like like an '80s Rockstar ballad. <laughs> Uh, like for an exist uh, for like a one line um, example, it's uh, they have Tommy was a lean, mean wrecking machine, and <laughs> that definitely sounds like it's uh, something out of an eighties rock ballad. But ultimately, at the end of the day, what he's hoping is this becomes actual enough where you could say, put on your resume, I'm a rock star programmer, N and he hopes that this is a terrible enough language that it actually becomes demeaning, so people s can stop saying that they're. Uh, companies can stop asking for rock star programmers. Right. Cause as we know, that's like a, a it, it ends up being a very sexist term. Um, not necessarily intentionally, but um, as a, as a side product, it ends up uh, getting interpreted different by, uh, by men and women. And you end up limiting your uh, you know, the, the diversity of the candidates that you have uh, applying. So that's, that's pretty cool. This is an interesting way of trying to get rid of that. Yeah, but there's uh, some really cool examples that shows FizzBuzz in there, just kind of like how you would probably do it if you kind of like took your existing skills over and then a way to do it like if you really were embracing the language. And it actually is pretty hilarious, the idea. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So FizzBuzz. Yeah. So if you if you look at the, the top one, it's like very obvious that it's FizzBuzz. But if you look at the bottom one, it just sounds like a song. Yeah. Uh, so we don't want to say those out here, um, yeah. because it's going to. We take should have Brandon but... Martinez on to to come on and and write a, and and actually play it out. Maybe we can do that uh, post show. Yeah. Hey, Chapalo, how's your singing voice? Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> save everyone. <laughs> I'm in an office, not in a shower. In the shower, it sounds great. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. Okay, well let's let's talk about the uh, the IoT Edge because I think this is a really cool thing, and it's actually something I know that Carl's done a lot of work around this. And, uh, and I've done a fair amount of work with, uh, some partners on it and, uh, you know, like edge is the, is the big Microsoft buzz buzzword right now. And this fits into that whole strategy. So I think what we should do first is 
sort of take a step back and just define what edge means. So not not the IoT edge, but you know, we hear like Satya Nadella talk about this all the time. He talks about intelligent cloud, intelligent edge. So what is the edge? Sure. So I think edge means something else to every different person, depending on where you are in the tech industry, right? Like mm-hmm. it's almost like the term gateway. Gateway is a super nebulous term that everyone has and everyone's interested in. And so for us at Microsoft, the edge is devices that are running locally on-premise. That's not in the cloud, so not in a large corporate data center, um, but probably controlled by the end customer and locally on-premise. Now, if you go talk to a telco, we share the same view of Edge not being in a corporate cloud, but they may think that the Edge is closer to, say, their cell phone tower or something like that, as opposed to on the end user computing hardware. And they're both equally valid ways to look at it, depending on what scenarios you're trying to tackle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I always thought of edge as like, you know, you could think of it as on-prem, but there's also with all the on-prem stuff, there's there's like stuff in the middle, which is yeah. things that don't, uh, you know, aren't like close to the internet. But I always think of them as as that thing that is sort of like the thing that's close to the internet. You know, if we do it, if we do, if we drew a, a diagram with like the cloud on the right, and then on the left we had like stuff that was buried deep behind the firewall, the edge would be the thing on the edge <laughs> uh, right before you get into the cloud. I mean, is that is that accurate? I mean, is that how it's used as well? Well, I mean, that question always becomes is the edge of what, right? And right. so that's why it really changes based on what perspective you have. Yeah. Um, if, you're the, if you're the end customer, it's the edge of my network, which could be the thing that touches. And it, uh, even if you're a customer, it's like the edge of which network? Is it the edge mm-hmm. of your OT network on that's your factory floor? that touches the edge of your IT network, which touches the internet, <laughs> or is it the edge of your IT network, or is it both? Um, if you're a telco, is it the cell phone tower? Is it where it backhauls to the internet before it goes to the like corporate cloud or something like that? So it really depends on the viewpoint from where you're coming. Yeah, that's a good point. So then looking at it from the Microsoft perspective, what is IoT Edge, and what have you and your team been working on? Gotcha. So we provide an extensible product um, that can be run on whatever hardware you have for whoever you are. So if you're an end customer, you can deploy it in your OT network. You can deploy it in your IT network. If you're a telco, you could deploy it under your cell phone tower. Um, But the real technology there is about offloading cloud services from the corporate cloud, like Microsoft Azure, and running them on the local hardware that you have so that you don't have to send all your data to the cloud so that your solution operates when you don't have internet and you can get more real-time responses. Like a lot of people's internet infrastructure is good enough to get near real-time by going to the cloud and back. However, sometimes there's a need to have sub-millisecond response times and running it locally can get you that. Yeah, exactly. So how how hard is it for me to then port my existing code to IoT Edge if I want to run, if I have just some existing code that I... I'm already trying to get those sub millisecond times out of. How do I get that in there? I mean, what's super cool is that we're using containers um, as the deployment mechanism for code. And containers are just any type of code that you want to run. So it's really easy to get your code up and running in a container. Okay. So honestly, like I I saw a tweet and I should have grabbed a link to it, but they were saying, uh, what was the tweet? I mean, they were just, they were talking about how like really everything should be running in a container these days. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think that's the general philosophy that people have. So 
you know, if you're if you're following that mantra, then it sounds like it'd be pretty darn easy to bring your stuff into here. I mean, if you think about it, containers are kind of like processes running in isolated namespaces, right? right. Like all of your code runs in a process anyway. It's just whether it has access to yeah. the name, like the resources of other processes. If for some reason your code breaks out of your process, <laughs> um, and yeah. so containers do a good job of isolating those things, uh, but it's a really lightweight concept. People hear containers as like, oh my god, like I'm running in a container, therefore I've added all this overhead to my code, and it's so much slower. But like, it's something that's built into the operating system, and it's simply about separating processes and making sure that they stay in their own swim lane. Yeah, it's almost, you know, not to turn it into a container episode, but I mean, it's almost like zipping up your code and and just using that as like a distribution mechanism. I, it, there's obviously way more to it. Um, but if people are afraid of like putting their stuff into a container, would you be afraid to zip to zip it and like deploy it somewhere? Of course not. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the hesitations that people come up with is like they equate it to like a JVM or something like that. Mm -hmm. But the problem there is like with JVMs, you're in doing interpretation of your code. But if you write, say, C code in a container, it's still that native C code running on your operating system. It's just isolated. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's really cool that we can bring our custom code in. But you had also mentioned that we can bring Azure services down. What kind of services work with IoT Edge today? And how does uh, you know that look like? Exactly. So... <clears throat> IoT solutions are specific to each customer, which is why we allow you to bring your own business logic. However, we know that you don't necessarily want to reinvent the wheel every time you're writing an IoT solution, and you may be using some Azure services that you love, like Stream Analytics or Azure ML. Um, those are the two ones that we had in public preview, so they're obviously in GA as well. We also have Azure Functions, so you can write your custom code in business logic that you may have already deployed, or you can write a simple Azure function if you'd like. And we also have cognitive services. So things like image image recognition, you can bring down, train in the cloud, but then score it locally on your edge device. Oh, that's very that's really yeah. It makes it sound like wherever your code already is, you're just trying to make it easy to run on on the edge, make it run on on these small devices that where you're just trying to get that uh that decision made closer to where the those inputs are are being generated mm -hmm. exactly and it, like you said it could be a small device but it could also be a large server or something like that depending on what type of equipment you're hooking up to depending on what type of data you're processing and the frequency with which that data is coming in and also depending on the type of processing that you want to run across that data right like if you have a connected rat trap Hopefully you don't need too much processing or you have a really bad rat problem, right? <laughs> um, but if you're connecting to industrial equipment, you may want to be sampling that data at 50,000 times a second and doing some kind of machine learning algorithm across that data. And that you probably won't be able to run on a device the size of Raspberry Pi. So, the you know, one of the questions that I hear working with IoT Edge really comes along that low end. So kind of how low can, can you go hardware-wise? So what we've shown is it running on a device smaller than a Raspberry Pi. That's around the sort of border of where we think it is. We're doing some tests right now to sort of give more prescriptive guidance. But really the, the limitation for IoT Edge is using a device that runs an operating system that supports containers because that's one of the fundamental technologies mm -hmm. IoT Edge is based on. In the future, we'll look at... Um, expanding edge to non-containerized operating systems. But for right now, we think that hits the majority of scenarios that we want to target. So could I and use... I'm assuming... oh, go ahead, Carl. 
And, and just to be absolutely clear for everybody, you know, I'm assuming that's all these dependencies, you know, why it, sometimes it's a little bit smaller, sometimes it's a little bit bigger. Is it all depends upon our workload as well. Exactly. For doing, yeah, for doing ML stuff, it might take a little bit more than if we're just doing like a, a quick like Azure function that's, you know, making some very quick logic decisions. Sure, yeah. If you want to process a few data, a few points of data with some Azure functions, Raspberry Pis are more than enough to do that. Um, depending on what type of machine learning algorithm you want to run, they do need more processing or compute. So, for example, image recognition. Um, the accuracy with which you can detect an image or find a feature in an image not only requires computation, but it also comp uh, requires reference data. So the more reference data you have to score new data, the more accurate it will be. And image data is large. So if you want to be very accurate with your scoring, then you may need 10 gigabytes of um, photo data as reference to your input. Whereas if you're in a scenario where you don't have to have as high accuracy, maybe you can get away with one gigabyte. And that really depends, that, that changes the storage requirements of the device on which you're running it. Mm -hmm. I like this approach though with the with the modules and have and using containers because you know I was thinking like hey it'd be kind of nice to be able to use like a Raspberry Pi for your home automation and you can certainly do that but then you know if you do want to start doing this more sophisticated stuff then you end up with a with a bigger machine and it's kind of funny because there's there's like this whole community of uh you know people that write images for Raspberry Pi to do different things like there's one that will give you compatibility with um Apple, uh, what do they call it? Apple home or whatever the, uh, home Apple home kit. Um, and then there's another one that provides you like VPN functionality. And it's funny because they just expect you because their raspberry Pi is so cheap to go buy like 10 of them and, and use like one <laughs> for each workload. So this is obviously, you know, a much simpler approach where you have this, this modular approach, and then you can, you can start with something like a raspberry Pi. And then if you outgrow that, you could just upgrade your hardware and just keep moving up as, as needed. So, um, I definitely like that approach. Exactly. And it speaks to the approach of you don't want to write all of your own code, right? You'll write code that is specific to your scenario. It may have some IP in there that you want to, don't want to give away, but you may not have the skills or you may not have the desire to write all the cloud services. Mm -hmm. The same goes with talking to like HomeKit devices, right? Apple can write a module that talks to their devices, and now you can easily ingest device, their data into your solution. Exactly. And so the great thing about the modules is that they're composable, and there's a third-party ecosystem for this. So folks can write general modules that anyone can use to get their sort of end-to-end -end edge solution to market faster. Right. And then how do they actually talk to each other? So if I have module A that's reading data from a sensor, and then I want to get that over to, you know, my Azure function module that's doing some processing, how do I do that? Gotcha. So like we've talked about modules, but we have, if folks are new to edge, basically a module is just a unit of computation. It could be a lot of computation. It could be a quick Azure function, but you take these units of computation and you link them them together into a pipeline to create sort of an end-to-end -end scenario. So say you want to ingest data, you may have two modules. One module would read from the device. The second module may filter the data, and then you'd send the filtered data up to the cloud. Um, the Azure IoT Edge runtime provides a messaging broker such that those, those modules can pass each other messages, and that works really well for small message sizes. However, if you want to process, say, images, you don't want to be sending 
images through the system through multiple modules. And so what you could do is since modules are implemented strictly as containers, you could open up a RESTful endpoint on a module and then have the machine learning algorithm read directly from that. So that's another sort of direct messaging paradigm as opposed to to going through the broker. A third is you could stream data through an open port on a module, i.e. container. Um, and we'll be coming out with some prescriptive guidance around that. But the main paradigm that we released at GA was through the messaging broker, because it makes it easy for people to conceptualize a pipeline of module A passing module B a message, module B does some processing, passes it to module C, that module does something else, and so on. Yeah. Would it be possible for the in the image scenario, would it be possible to to you know store that somewhere on the local file system, and then give the Docker containers access to that, and then just pass exactly. around, let's say, a file name? Exactly. Yeah. You okay. Can sort of, we jokingly call it the the um, shoulder tap paradigm, okay. where I read in an image, save it to disk, and then shoulder tap the yeah, next your turn. And tell them where to go get it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. The uh, what do they call that on the uh, Event Hub team? They call that the uh, the the coat check pattern. Okay. There you go. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Exactly. Don't wait for users to report problems. Raygun gives you complete visibility on errors, crashes, and performance problems affecting your end users. Replicate issues in seconds rather than digging through log files or having to rely on users to report errors or crashes. Raygun gives you a window into how users are really experiencing your software applications, supports all major programming languages and platforms, and integrates with your current development workflow tools too. There's a free 14-day trial, and it takes minutes to implement. So start resolving issues in your application and check it out today at raygun.com. So when I'm working with the IoT device, a lot of times I think this is something that I, I'm having uh, like a Raspberry Pi that has a lot of sensors or other hardware that I want to read values from. How do my uh, modules gain access to interact with those different sensors? So it kind of depends on which operating system you're working on. So Azure IoT Edge supports both Linux and Windows. On Linux, you just mount the device into a container like you would on any Linux device. It's usually under like dev whatever your device is. And then on Windows, you mount the device into the container. Um, there's some issues around mounting devices into Windows containers right now, but the Windows team is doing work so that when they go GA, that that will be a um, supported scenario. So right now, Azure IoT Edge is GA on Linux. Um, we'll be GA on Windows when they come out with the fall release, um, RS5, fall creators update. I'm not sure exactly what the name will be. <laughs> <laughs> there's like 16 different aliases going around. There's probably some build number too. Um, who knows what that will be. But there's, a, there's an update in the fall. IoT Edge has some dependencies on those features coming in in that fall update. And then we'll be GA once that hits. Very cool. And then, you know, we talked about this configuration where I have these modules that are sort of chained together, but that, that gives me this idea that I could sort of reconfigure those from place to place. So, you know, I might install it at site A and I want to use these three modules hooked together in this pattern. At site B, I'm going to use these four modules. I'm going to put them together in different configurations. So like, how do I manage what that actually looks like? Do I have to like modify that on each device? Can I manage that from the cloud? What does that look like? So the idea around Edge is that all this is cloud managed. Um, and in the cloud, you sort of set up canonical workflows for types of devices. Like the logic that you run on a smart camera is going to be different than the logic that you run on your oil rig or something like that. And so you can say, hey, I have my camera workflow and I have my oil rig workflow. And then target that at all of your cameras or target it at all of your your oil rigs so that they get the right set of logic for the correct device. Mm-hmm. 
Cool. And then if if I'm just a if I'm just a module creator, um, you know, and, and I'm not a person who wants to manage the edge, you know, like yep. you know, Microsoft built Azure Functions into a module, but what if I'm just Jason and I want to build a module that uh I don't know, doubles your data. <laughs> yep. You know, so like that's all I care about is building this module and then I want to make it available for the world. Like obviously I could put that on GitHub. Is there yep, any other Docker way Hub that I can just, like yeah, that. is there any other way I can like get that out to the world? Sure. So I mean, modules are just containers, so you can mm-hmm. put it on your favorite container repository and okay. start the JSON marketing page. Um, <laughs> but it might be a little hard for people to find that. I mean, obviously you would talk about it on the MS Dev show. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so you might have a little bit bigger microphone than most people. But <laughs> discovery is a huge problem that we want to help people solve. So we've started a module marketplace in the Azure marketplace. And so you can go to the, the module marketplace and find modules that work with Azure IoT Edge, download them and start using them immediately. Right now, modules in the marketplace are licensed under sort of a bring your own license. So you have to work with Jason. Like you can discover Jason's module in the marketplace and then have to work with him to figure out how much to pay him to use it. In the future, what we'd love to do is allow folks to to do custom metering. So when you double people's data, you can charge them based on maybe how much compute it took you to double it, or the fact that you did double it instead of triple it or something like that. And these custom meters will be great for not only allowing you to charge what you want for your your module, but then we can bill the customer using your module on your behalf. Okay, cool. That's pretty awesome. So as you've been uh, working uh, with people to, you know, build the IoT edge has, has there been any interesting patterns you've seen uh, with people in real time and u- real usage um well i mean i think you it's just generally the IoT pattern of let's first send all the data to the cloud once i've sent the data to the cloud or the first thing is send data to the cloud and that's if you have a new device then really where IoT Edge started as Gateway SDK was, oh my God, we need we have a bunch of legacy devices or new small power devices that we want to understand stuff about but can't send the data to the cloud. So let's connect them and then send them to the cloud via an Edge device. Once they have the data in the cloud, then they start running machine learning on it and finding some interesting insights about the data and then sending commands back down to the devices to change or optimize their workflows. Once they start doing that, they're like, oh, well, I can optimize this farther by not going all the way to the cloud, finding those insights locally on the edge, bringing whatever cloud resources they were using in the cloud and running them locally in the edge, and then really doing sort of a tight loop of optimization and business business logic. That's a really interesting insight. I mean, starting starting with you know, pulling all that data to the cloud and working with it and then, and then pushing the functionality on the edge as, as you figured out, I was, uh, I was working with a partner, I think it was like two years ago. It was kind of interesting. I had a interesting conversation. Uh, there was somebody in the room who was, you know, he just didn't, he didn't really understand manufacturing and like the, the quantities of data that can be involved. Yeah. And we were actually talking about motors and, uh, you know, he's sitting there, you know, trying to pitch the, trying to sell the cloud and, uh, it's just, you know, a sales guy. And he's like, yeah, you just, all the data comes off this motor, just send it up to Azure and we can use yeah, analytics, right? you know, like the standard pitch. And I was like, I was like, wait, 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 wait. I'm like, no, no, that doesn't work. I'm like, I don't think you realize the quantity of data coming off this motor. <laughs> and it, it was funny because after I spoke, then the the partner was like, yeah, we, we generally are, are generating 10,000, uh, you know, messages per second off of yeah. one motor. 
and yeah. we could have a thousand motors in the manufacturing plant. Yeah. You just can't do that. Even if you have the fiber connection, I have my house here. Like it's just not happening. It's, like it's not physically possible. Like, yeah, it's just not physically possible. So what you can do is like grab some of that data, go start working with it in the cloud, figure out what is most interesting to you, and then actually uh, actually push that down. Um, so I think that's, that's obvious. That's a really common scenario. I mean, you can say the same thing about, uh, like wind speed, right? Like if I just had a wind sensor at my house here, like I could measure 500 times per second if I wanted, <laughs> but I'm probably going to find that that's, you know, really what I want is the highest wind speed value for any given five minute period, for example. And then I sure Azure it. network and network and storage would be happy that you're a month. <laughs> yeah. 500 times yeah. A second. <laughs> yeah. If you want to do that, <laughs> that's great. By all means, that, they'd that be helps, happy to store that. That's my paycheck. <laughs> Absolutely. So, before you had mentioned the IoT Gateway SDK, and you know, I think that IoT Edge kind of has some some history there. When we look at like IoT Edge, is this optimized more for being that kind of gateway device for other uh, connected sensors, or is this meant more for you know putting on something that's an IoT device to directly communicate to the cloud, or is it kind of like the, the best of both worlds where you can kind of do both? Yeah, it's definitely uh, both. Um, I I go back to scenarios are so customer dependent that it's really about where you want to run your code. Like, I try not to use the gateway term specifically. I just talk about classes of devices of you may be connecting a device to another device and that device is called a gateway, or you may be processing some data from other devices on this intermediary device and that's called a gateway. Like, I look at gateways as human children. Everyone has a, ch like all human children are are all children are human, but my child's special, right? Like my child is something <laughs> different than your child. Um, and that's kind of how gateways are. Everyone can sort of understand the concept of a gateway, but when you get down into the nitty gritty of what a gateway does, like it, it varies widely. So just like Azure IoT Edge is extensible, like you can really build an edge machine to be that leaf device and you want to run some machine learning like locally on the data that it's consuming, or it might be an intermediary gateway that's collating data from across your factory floor and you want to sort of gain insights about how your factory's up um, mm -hmm. working and then you could chain these things together as well right i mean not just modules but also the the, the e edges <laughs> coming soon um okay easy chaining gateways is a feature that's on our backlog and we know people want to do that okay. um there's a few technical limitations around that right now but yes in theory, you can do that and okay. you'll be able to do that. So it would take a little bit of work if I want to do it today because I'd have to I'd have to do like yeah. my own custom communication. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and then I think we, we should address, you know, what's always the, the elephant in the room, which is uh, security. So uh, did you guys put any into this? <laughs> no, not at all. Yeah. <laughs> what's security? TBD? No, it's on the backlog. <laughs> yeah. No, so... The way we view security is that for IoT scenarios, you need a higher bar of security. Mm -hmm. If your gateway is locked off, locked off in your OT server closet somewhere, that that needs a high bar of security. However, there's a higher bar if your device is out in the wild where an attacker may have physical access to it and an unlimited time with it. And so Azure IoT Edge is designed such that it integrates with firmware, so like a TPM or some kind of hardware security module. And it will attest that you're not only running the right workload, that the workload hasn't been tampered with and things like that. So we've put a lot of thought into the security model for IoT Edge. Yeah, I think that the security model is is great, you know, because you want to have that that end to end security and verification at every stage. I know you guys have put a lot of work into that. One of the uh, 
it's actually kind of interesting because in in the manufacturing world they actually count on uh, things being uh, like open and sort of insecure because that's how they sort of move data between places. <laughs> how it started. <laughs> yeah, but but I love that there's this this stand of like, hey, this thing is it's it's secure by default. And if you want to do that data sharing, then we have to figure out a way to enable that without compromising security. So, you know, I, I applaud the team for doing that. And, and also just the, the amount of, uh, security rigor that is really comes down from like the high levels at Microsoft and has to go into all this stuff because, you know, everybody is super paranoid about security. And, and I know you guys have thought about it from the beginning versus like some of this, you know, some of these cameras that you put in your house where, um, you know, really they slap security yeah, on door and, lock and it, it comes out with like a hack and like your door is just now available for anyone to walk. Yeah, we it's talked about the scary. fingerprint lock on the on the podcast and man, it had no there was basically no physical security The I mean, there were so many issues with that thing. Um, obviously, you know, it's funny because they were literally building a lock. And it felt like they just did not take security very seriously. Yeah, it's um, like it's a secure device right? like yeah, a lock exactly, is exactly. designed for security exactly. and then you don't put security into your lock it's kind exactly. of ironic exactly so that was more of uh, more of just a comment on the security there yeah so you know one thing that i've seen is people looking at this technology and comparing it to other microsoft technologies especially something like azure stack mm-hmm. so is there a real comparison to be made there is a is there a situation where you might be evaluating using iot edge versus uh, azure stack um i mean you could use them in conjunction so azure stack is more about well, it's services, but it's also a prescriptive set of hardware, right? Like, so it's, I think, at least four blades, so a large server, which is expensive. And there's a set of people who want to run those services on devices that are smaller. So if you have a scenario where you're processing a ton of data and you really want all of Azure locally, Azure Stack's a great option. However, for those... Situations where you may want less than four racks, <laughs> um, <laughs> Azure IoT Edge and whatever hardware you want to choose is a great option for that. And that lets you run partial cloud services on Edge, not the full cloud service. And that gets to sort of a conversation about what should I really be running on the Edge versus running in the cloud? And there's certain workflows that make sense for one versus the other. So, for example, if you take machine learning, Training a machine learning model takes a lot of data. It takes a lot of compute. I mean, unless you want it to take years. <laughs> um, and it probably takes a lot of memory. That's not a characteristic that you probably want of your edge device. So if you do your training in the cloud, then you can create a model relatively quickly and cheaply in the cloud and then ship that model down to your edge device for local scoring. Because scoring doesn't take that much memory, compute, or anything like that. But you can get your result very quickly. Okay. And then, so, you know, that kind of covers the Azure Stack aspect, but how does this compare then to something like Kubernetes or other, some other, uh, basically container orchestrator? Gotcha. So Azure IoT Edge is not a container orchestrator. IoT Edge starts modules, which are containers, and just makes sure that they're running. However, that is not true container orchestration. Container Mm -hmm. orchestration is, hey, I have four nodes and I want these five containers to be always running across these four nodes, that's a very hard problem that Azure IoT Edge does not attempt to solve. Um, We want true orchestrators to do their job of orchestration. And so when we look at scenarios around high high availability and disaster recovery, that's what orchestration is great for. And so we're going to, in the future, have Azure IoT Edge integrate 
with those true container orchestrators such that you can from the cloud specify a workload that will run on the edge and then Azure IoT Edge Runtime will make sure that it gets the correct workflow and then delegate that to an orchestrator to run locally. And I believe Venkat, another colleague of mine, showed some initial thought process towards um, working with Edge and Kubernetes at the same time. Mm, very cool, very cool. So one of our favorite questions when we're talking about like new Microsoft services is how much does this cost? It all sounds great, but what's this gonna run me when I actually put this out in production? One hundred million dollars. No. So <laughs> but for free. you, for for MS Dev Show <laughs> listeners, exactly, we have a special offer today and only today with coupon code MS Dev Show. Um, <laughs> no, so Azure IoT Edge is free. Like basically. We just want to make it easier for you to run Azure services locally. You'll pay for your Azure services um, per service. So some of them are free, like machine learning, for example. They they charge you for creating a model in the cloud, but you're using your own hardware and your own um, electricity to score the model locally. Like you paid for the device, so just go ahead and use it. Like they want you to use Azure ML, whether it's in the cloud or locally, and yeah. they'll let you. Then they'll share the source, split the price difference with you. Um, and so each service or custom module, if Jason wanted to write his double your data module, <laughs> gets to choose how much they charge for that service. But Edge is just sort of the substrate that runs it for you. And we believe that should be free. Okay, very cool. And then uh, how does somebody actually get started with this thing? Like where where should we send them? So we have some documentation. Um, I'm sure in the show notes you can show um, one of our tutorials to like the Linux or um, Windows quick start. And that will get you up and running. It will deploy a simulated temperature sensor that just sort of spits off random temperature values and um, sends it up to IoT Hub. And then there's some following tutorials where you can write a custom module to filter it. You could write an Azure function to filter it. You could write a stream analytics query to do some kind of, um, was it an average over a floating window? And then there's also a tutorial about how to run machine learning over that data as well. Okay, very cool. Anything else you wanted to mention? Any any cool upcoming features you want to talk about? Wanted to tease? Oh, man. I mean, we've been talking about all of our customers ask for high availability, high availability disaster recovery. So those are things that we're definitely working on. Offline is another scenario that's super in demand. So right now... I've heard that. The, um, on edge device to be connected <laughs> to the cloud so that you can specify the workloads running on it. And then once the workload is running on the edge device, the connection can be dropped for a short period of time, but we use SAS tokens for security and SAS tokens need to be refreshed. They need to be refreshed from the cloud. So then if for some reason your device is offline for a while and reboots, it won't be able to refresh its SAS tokens. So the first thing that we want to do is just fix that such that your device can be offline once it's provisioned for as long as it wants and restart. Mm -hmm. Then once we do that, then we'll sort of look at sort of how do you configure the device offline and then how do you even provision the device offline. Okay, very cool, very cool. <clears throat> okay, Carl, what do you have for the Azure pick of the week? So I know we've mentioned uh, Azure Functions several times throughout here, but another place it can now run is in Kubernetes. Oh, that's cool. So uh, we have a link in the show notes uh, that'll take you to GitHub documentation on how to uh, deploy Azure Functions anywhere you want with Kubernetes. Yeah. So, I'm, you know, I think we've talked about on the show, like you can, for a long time, you've been able to take a function and package it in a Docker container. And I've gotten that working in Kubernetes. 
but it looks like they've essentially brought some extra, there must be some extra tooling around that to make it uh, even better. Uh, yep. And there's good. examples on, you know, how to do all sorts of things like minimum, maximum instances, how to retrieve your function logs from there, uh, integrate cool. it with your cube config files, all that stuff. Yeah, because I prototyped like getting all my websites and everything that I run running in uh, basically AKS, uh, the Azure Kubernetes service. And uh, so I have a I have like a private prototype running, uh, including the MS Dev Show. And actually, uh, one thing that that we never really followed up on <clears throat> was I do have uh, the MS Dev Show website running in Blob Storage now now that it has the new website feature, and uh, I also have it working uh, with a CDN. So I know you and I have been talking about switching that over. So maybe we'll bring that up again if we ultimately make the make the switch and just serve that from uh, from Blob Storage and a CDN, which should make it faster for everybody. And then we don't have to, you know, it, it's interesting. It's like we used to have to deal with servers, then virtual machines, and then uh, and then it was. Yeah, like I think Docker I think we've containers. deployed it using every p- potential yeah. Azure. Oh, I've had MS technologies everywhere. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. we're getting to the point now. You know, I don't. We I know what's we've the easiest on, and cheapest way to. Yeah, do it. yeah, we've run it on websites, and now we're just getting to the point where it's like, well, now we're not even like running it. We're we're just we're just literally saying, please serve these files, um, and and it, we don't want to know any of the implementation. So, um, I thought that that was uh, very cool and worth mentioning. Uh, okay, so Chapalo, where can people find you? Sure. So you can find me at LinkedIn. Um, I don't. Is there LinkedIn handles or whatever? I'm Chapalo Street. There's probably only <laughs> one of those. <laughs> it's not too hard to find. Okay. Um, you can also find me on Twitter at Chapalo St. I probably have like three followers. If I get a hundred followers from this show, I will start tweeting to people whatever they want. Well, not whatever they want. But... <laughs> oh, 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 oh no, I'm gonna edit that <laughs> on a more part regular out. basis. I'm just gonna I'm gonna edit that that other part out. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So definitely go follow uh, Chapalo. Follow Chapalo. Hey, that's awesome. Follow Chapalo. And uh, let's see, what should we do? So then Chapala will start answering any question that we want. So that, that sounds yeah, like a pretty good I'll deal. Answer your question. That's not a problem. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a really good deal. And uh, where can people find you, Carl? You can find me on Twitter at Carl Schweitzer. And you can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash ytechie. So Chapala, thank you so much for coming on here to talk about the IoT Edge. Down. This is great. Let's do it again. Yeah.